0: Okay, we are in a series uh, in the book of Romans and uh, Romans, uh, it's all about the gospel of God. Uh, The gospel is the good news of Jesus and Romans uh, helps us to understand why the good news of Jesus is such good news. And it does that by first telling us about the bad news and the bad news is that uh, God's judgment is coming on the world. Uh, the first uh, three chapters of Romans um, makes it very clear that um, we need to see that that's our predicament our Jesus. And it's forcing us to, to realize uh, just how good it is uh, that, that God would send His only Son. So we're going to continue that theme today. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11... That's the passage we're looking at. So um, I'll read it, and uh, then we'll consider uh, what it's saying uh, to our lives. Okay, Romans chapter one, verse uh, sorry, chapter two, verse one to eleven. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, uh, those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking who do, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Okay, this is God's Word. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we need your Holy Spirit now to open our minds to see uh, what you're teaching us in this passage. And Father, we need uh, your Spirit to also uh, penetrate our hearts to expose uh, the the things that we depend on uh, other than Christ, uh, that we would be able to put those aside and uh, put all of our trust in Christ alone. And we pray it in his name. Amen. you know, sometimes you can be uh, completely unaware of a disaster that is about to fall upon you. Okay, imagine a couple who go camping for the first time and they have what they think is a pretty good uh, setup. They've got their tent, they've got their cooking gear, they've got their little table and chairs and uh, they're even prepared for rain. Uh, Above them, they've set up this massive plastic sheet called a tarp and they've set it up right over their campsite, it's tied to trees, and so they think they're ready. And then of course the inevitable happens, it always rains when you go camping, but they're not worried, because they have this tarp set up, this massive tarp. And so even though it's raining, they uh, break out the snacks, get out the board games, spend a lovely afternoon together playing this game, But what they don't realise is that as the afternoon is ticking by and as the rain continues to fall, that water has been gathering in this tarp above them. Uh, And it's getting heavier and heavier. The tarp has slowly began to sag. uh, But they don't notice because they're so engrossed in their tasty snacks and uh, this board game. But the tarp gets heavier and heavier. The water keeps collecting. And then comes that terrible moment, when the whole thing just collapses and drenches everything. Do you know, in some ways, that's what um, this passage in Romans 2 is getting at. Uh, Romans 2, verse 1 to 11, it's actually telling us that like that tarp, that, that um, tarp breaking, there's actually going to be a future day when God's judgment will break onto humanity. A terrifying day when his judgment will come. And what Romans 2 is actually getting at is that there will be people, even people in the church, who think they're ready for that day, but who in fact are not. There are people, even in the church, who assume that on judgment day everything will be fine, but it actually won't be for them. That's what this passage is about. And uh, the question, I guess, is, well, how do you know if you're one of those people? Okay, that's a very important question to ask. How do you know if you're one of those people? And uh, this passage, it actually gets us to consider three things. There's three things we need to think about. There are actually three things that we all need to consider very carefully because they're very, very penetrating questions. They really get to, you know, our very core of our being, our hearts, and to ask the question, what's actually going on uh, at that level? So let's, let's look at these three things. First, the first thing you need to consider. You need to consider the real state of your heart. The real state of your heart. That's in verses one to three. So I'll read that again. It says, uh, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, this passage, it's very important to see how this connects to the passage just before it, because it starts with that word, therefore. And uh, in the the bit just before this, uh, we looked at it last week, Paul described the world at large and he described how God is angry at so many people because even though everyone deep down knows God exists, what so many people do with that knowledge is suppress it and instead worship idols and live rebellious lives against God. And Paul concluded that section in chapter 1 with that list of all kinds of terrible things that people do in rebellion against god and paul knew as he uh dictated this letter in that first century he knew that there would be people in the church who would hear that that description in chapter one and would be doing fist pumps and cheering paul on going yes paul that's right that's what's wrong with this world it's those wicked people out there they're the problem And I'm glad, Paul, that you're pointing that that out. God is right to be angry with them. See, Paul knew that there would be people cheering him on, but behind all that enthusiasm is an assumption. And the assumption is, I'm okay because I'm not like those people out there. I'm a good person. And therefore, I've got nothing to be worried about. That's the assumption. In fact, this, the, the person like this is the person who thinks that their disapproval of the wicked, okay, their judging of the wicked, they actually think that that there is the proof that they are so much better and therefore God must be very happy with them. Well, Paul has some very shocking news uh, for such a person It's almost like he gets a spotlight and he's been shining it on the world at large and then suddenly he turns it to these people. So let's have a look at your life then. And he says, you know, you actually have no excuse. That excuse, you think you're better. That's not an excuse. Why? Because, well, in passing judgment on others, what are you doing? You're condemning yourself. Why? Because you practice the very same things. You practice the very same things. It's quite a shocking thing for Paul to say. You've got to remember that when he wrote this letter, he was writing to a church that consisted of Gentiles and also Jews. Now, these are good religious people who have grown up obeying the law, You know, thinking that they're, they're separate from the world. They're, they're, they're not like, they don't just live like the rest of the world. And Paul says, no, no, you actually practice the very same things. How can Paul say that? How can he say that to a bunch of good church-going folk? You practice the very same things as those idol-worshipping pagans down the street. You practice the very same things. How can he say that? Well, let's just go back to chapter 1. If you've got a Bible open, flip back over, and you'll see there in verses uh, 29 to 32, uh, that list describing all of these things that people do in their rebellion against God, if you look at that list... They're almost all things that go on in the heart. Okay, they're not the big bad sins. I mean, yes, it does mention murder, uh, but even that is something that springs from the heart. But look at all these other things that he mentions. He he talks about, uh, where is it, covetousness in verse 29. So it's wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Malice, just a general uh, disgust of other people. Uh, Envy. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. Malicious. Has anyone been malicious? Uh, What about uh, gossips, slanderers? Uh, Haughty and boastful. Haughty and boastful, that's just... They're words for for pride, being proud. Uh, And then he has uh, disobedient to parents. Um, Okay. Uh, Foolish, which is not thinking God's way. Faithless heartless, ruthless, heartless, ruthless. Okay, so if you think about all of these sins that I've just mentioned, they're things that we can be doing without even realising. Okay, we can be doing them without even realising. In fact, if you were to take one conversation that you have with someone where you talk to the person about, you know, your dream, you know, dreams for what you want to do, what you want to get out of life, uh, the, the things that annoy you, um, the people that annoy you. You know, if you think, think about that conversation, what you actually realise is that you can commit all of the things that are in that list in chapter one without even realising it. And we do that. We do these things without even noticing. Uh, and the reason that is, is because one of the things in that list is actually um, pride. And what pride does in the heart it causes us to, to only see ourselves in the best possible light, so we can be doing something like being malicious. But from our own perspective, it doesn't seem that bad. It just seems like you know we're annoyed with someone. And that's not so bad. You know some people are annoying, uh, and so that's that's the way it works. We don't realise uh, these things that are going on. In fact, our pride not only causes us to see ourselves in the best light; it actually causes us to see others in the worst possible light. So when we look at other people doing these things, it stands out like a sore thumb. Okay? And then we notice it and uh, we can uh, see it very clearly. And that's what Paul is getting at here by talking about you who judge. Okay? He's talking about this critical attitude of looking at someone else, looking at someone else's failings and thinking, how pathetic are they? That's what it means to judge someone else. It's, it's, you know, the classic illustration of judging someone else is that parable that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And that Pharisee stood up in the temple and he looked out and he saw a tax collector and he, thought, and he said to God, you know I thank you, God, that I'm not like that person. That's the, the attitude, this critical attitude, thinking you're better than others, thinking that God must be so impressed with you because you're not as messed up as other people. And we can even assume that we're over on God's side, kind of helping him judge the world. But what's actually going on is this principle that Jesus so famously invented, the speck and log principle. Okay, The speck and log principle is where Jesus said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye when you do not notice that there's a log in your own eye? And so the point Paul is making in verses 1 to 3 is that whenever you criticize someone or whenever you scoff at the immorality in our society, uh, whenever you go on a rant, express moral outrage, uh, whenever you say, I can't stand people who do such and such, or whenever you say in your heart, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Do you know, All of that, it's actually just condemning yourself. That's the point of these three verses. And the reason is, is because you actually do the very same things. You might not do those same things in exactly the same form, but every sin starts as a seed and then it grows into something. And the seeds of every sin are in all of our hearts, which means we, do, we all do the very same things just not in exactly the same form. Now, do you remember when uh, Matt read from 2 Samuel earlier and uh, Nathan the prophet went to King David to confront David because he had sinned uh, in a horrendous way? You know, he murdered a fella and stole that bloke's wife. And Nathan went to David and he told David a story about a rich man who stole a pet lamb off a poor man. And when David heard that story, he got so angry and he he condemned that rich man to death. And Nathan stepped in and he said, David, you are that man. And do you see what happened? If David was judged on the basis of how he judged someone else, then what would happen to David? He should have been put to death. That's also what these verses are saying. Uh, Paul is saying that if if we simply if we were all judged according to the way that we judge others then we would all be condemned. Okay, Because none of us lives up to the very standards that we condemn others about. And here's the point of verse 2 though the point of verse 2 is that God's judgment is actually far more exact than our own. You know, when we look at other people and you know, criticize and condemn and all those sort of things. Most of the time, we don't even know what we're talking about because we don't know the person's situation. We don't know what struggles they've gone through in the day. We don't understand their hearts. We can't see their hearts. But God is not like that. He sees everyone exactly as they are. That's the point of verse 2 where it says that God, uh, sorry, God judges rightly. If you look at verse 2, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And that word rightly, it literally means according to the truth or according to the facts. God, when he judges, he only judges according to the facts. And he has all the facts because he can see, he can see us right through. He can see the very core of our hearts. Now, unlike us, God knows what we do behind closed doors. He knows the thoughts that are going on in our minds. Uh, He knows the things that you look at on the internet. Uh, God knows what you do when no one's watching. He knows what you say behind people's backs. He knows the very motives uh, behind the things you do. So He has all the facts, which means His judgment is always according to the truth. And so the question that verse 3 is asking is one that we all need to ask. Do I think I will escape the judgment of God? Okay, Can we escape because of something in us that gets us off the hook? Is there there something that we've done that will get us off the hook? And the answer is no. So consider the real state of your heart. Consider what it really looks like. Okay, do you look down on other people who, who, who you think are more messed up than you or do you think my heart by nature is just like theirs, it just shows itself in different ways? So you consider the, the real state of your heart. Now the second thing though we need to consider, it's in verses 4 and 5 and here we have to consider what our attitude toward God's kindness is. Consider your attitude towards God's kindness. So in verse 4, it says, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you presume on God's kindness? Now, that that word presume, it actually means to um, feel entitled to something. And when you feel entitled to something, you take it for granted, and then you think very little of it. So just to give some examples of that, uh, you know, clean water, um, stable government, good roads, they're all things that we um, feel entitled to as Australians, and so we take them for granted, that is, we never think about them, unless, of course, there's a problem, and then we get very upset about them. Well, verse 4 is actually saying that people who are unprepared for Judgment Day are doing that same thing with God's kindness. Uh, God's kindness, they presume on the riches of God's kindness, which means they feel entitled to it. They feel like God owes that to them uh, because after all, they keep telling themselves, hey, I'm a pretty good person. You know, God must be pretty impressed with me. Therefore, it's his job to make sure that he blesses my life and makes it all go nice and smoothly. Uh, when it doesn't, they get upset with God. Um, but the, that sense of entitlement to God's kindness, it's actually built on this completely uh, completely um, false premise of self-righteousness. and uh, the the reality is if we could actually see ourselves as we really are before the gaze of a holy God, we would realize very quickly, God owes us nothing good, nothing at all. The only thing God owes us is punishment. In fact, that word forbearance, if you see that in verse four, God's forbearance, that actually has the idea that God is putting up with us for far longer than we ever deserve. It's it's saying that he's actually holding back judgment. Why would he do that? For one reason, to give you an opportunity to repent. Repent to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin, to repent of your self-righteousness. And do you know this verse? It's very powerful the more you think about it because we can actually presume on God's kindness in all kinds of ways. Uh, For example, perhaps you're someone who uh, persists in a a certain sin and uh, feels like, um, you know, no obligation to um, stop that at any time soon. And, uh, you you know, you kind of think, well, It seems to be okay because God hasn't intervened. He hasn't, you know, kind of stopped me in my tracks. And so he must be okay with it. He must think I'm all right. See what that is? Presuming on God's kindness. Or uh, perhaps someone might assume that because God is so kind, because he's so forbearing, because he's so patient, that that means he will never judge me. He's a good fellow. He's just going to let me off the hook. Uh, I have even heard people say, you know, surely God's going to forgive me. That's his job. As if if somehow God owes that. But again, it's presuming on his kindness. See, the point of verse 4 is that God is under no obligation to give us anything good. And therefore, if we have good things like air in our lungs, if we have food on our tables, uh, if we have Things in our life that make us happy. That's God's kindness. And why does he do those things? For one reason only. It's meant to lead you to repentance. He's giving you this opportunity to repent. And what does repent mean? Repentance, it's not just saying sorry for sin. It's not just saying, yeah, my sin is bad. Repentance is actually doing something about it. It's actually turning around. It's a complete turnaround. It's it's saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to actually go God's way. That's what repentance is. So the repentant person is not someone who makes excuses for their sin. The repentant person doesn't say, well, at least I'm not as bad as other people. The repentant person wants to turn away from sin and turn back to God. But look at what happens if there's no repentance. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Remember that tarp, remember that couple, they set up that tarp, they thought they were all prepared, and yet they weren't. And eventually that water collected and it came down on them. That's the picture here when it comes to, to God's wrath. Okay, every day when you enjoy the good things that God gives you and give no thought to turning back to Him, no thought to giving up self righteousness, it's just another day of storing up wrath. And one day that, that will come to a point where it comes crashing down. It's a terrifying verse. And so, it is a warning to to anyone who thinks that they're okay, that they don't need to repent, that they can forget about it and worry about it another day. No, 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 now's the time. Now's the time to repent. Don't misunderstand God's kindness. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Okay, so we need to consider the state of our hearts, what we're really like before God. We need to consider how we think about His kindness. It's just to lead us to repentance. But the third thing we need to consider in this passage is we actually need to consider our attitude towards our good works, towards good works. And that's in verses 6 to 11. So I'll read that again. Uh, It says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Uh, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Uh, I don't know about you, but this... um, little section here it's actually very confusing the first time you read it because what does it sound like it's saying it actually sounds like paul has forgotten the whole point of romans remember the whole point of romans is to tell us that salvation is by grace received through faith okay not by works now works add nothing and yet when you read that at first it kind of sounds like paul's saying that on judgment day our works will be the determining factor of whether we receive eternal life or not. It's a little bit confusing. (laughs) So what's going on here? Well, let's be very clear. Paul is not undermining the main point of Romans. The main point of Romans is that there is a way to be safe on Judgment Day. There's only one way to be safe, and that is by the work of Christ alone. Okay, Christ's death on the cross That's how all your sin can be paid for and taken away. Christ's perfect life. That's the righteousness we need to be accepted by God. And how do you get that? You receive it by faith alone. That's the only way you can be sure that on judgment day you will be safe. Christ's work alone. It's because God credits Christ's righteousness to all who trust in him. And nothing we do in life can add to that. You can't improve on what Christ has done. Okay, that's all you need. You just need to rest in that. But what verses 6 to 11 are teaching is a complementary truth. There's a truth that runs beside that, which is that while we're saved by grace, we are judged according to our works. We're saved by grace, but judged according to our works. Which means that on Judgment Day, what's God going to be looking at in your life? What's he going to to examine? He's going to examine to see if your life has been the fruit of trusting in Jesus. Is there fruit from your faith? Because if you think about it, what is it that that demonstrates someone has truly repented of their sin and their self-righteousness and are trusting in Jesus? What's the evidence of that? It's a changed life, okay? Not a perfect life. Uh, you know, right now we can't we can't live a perfect life because we still have um, sin remaining. And uh, so, on judgment day, when God examines our life, He's He's not looking for perfection. What He is looking for, though, is whether there has been repentance, whether there is a heart that has turned from sin and turned back to Him. That's what He's looking for. That's what Judgment Day will reveal. And so Judgment Day will reveal whether your works are either the fruit of faith or the fruit of unbelief. Judgment Day will reveal whether your works demonstrate that you're a true follower of Jesus or a follower of self. And if you actually look at the way that these two people are described in verses 7 to 8, you can see that the focus here is not on whether your works are perfect, but rather, what is the motivating drive behind them? What is it that drives your life? Uh, so if you look at verse 7, this is, this is describing a believer. What, what drives a believer? They're those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality. So what does it mean to seek glory and honour? It means to live for God's glory and honour rather than your own. What does it mean to seek immortality? It means to live for eternity rather than just here and now. And see, if you take any true believer, and if you're able to to shine God's x-ray of holiness to see what is driving their behaviour, you'll find this is what it is like, I'm not living for me anymore, I'm living for God, I'm not living for now, I'm living for eternity. That's a true believer. And that's what Judgment Day um, will reveal. But what about the unbeliever? The unbeliever is one who, according to verse 8, are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Okay, and just as Judgment Day will reveal uh, the motivating drive of our lives, it will also reveal two very different outcomes. For the believer, for the one who is in Christ, there will be eternal life. But for the unbeliever, there will be wrath and fury. And verses 9 to 10 repeat that same idea, but this time tells us that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter how you grew up, which group you belong to, whether you're a Jew or a Greek. It makes no difference. The only thing that matters is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, that's the only thing that will count. And that will be evidenced by the way that you've lived. <clears throat> and so you can see what Paul is doing here. He's showing us that no one is exempt from Judgment Day. Okay, And I think that's a very important thing to understand because we can have this idea that, you know, if I, if I go to church, if I'm a, you know, a relatively good person, that, that means on judgment day, I'll be standing off on this other side. I'll be watching all the, the bad people get judged. But it, no, no, everyone's included. Everyone stands before the judgment seat. Believers even, unbelievers, believers, everyone will be examined. God will examine to see where we stand in relation to him, which means what we do in life does actually matter because it will either be the fruit of trusting in Christ or the fruit of rejecting him. And so what's this passage doing? It's really pushing us. I hope you feel the pressure that this passage is putting us under. It's pushing us to really examine, what am I counting on to be right on that day? Okay, what is it that I'm depending on? Am I trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Or am I thinking, I'll make it on my own? That's what this passage is forcing us to do. The whole And the whole point is to make sure that you're not someone who thinks you are prepared, but in fact aren't. And that's the danger for people in a church. It's particularly the danger for people who grow up in a Christian home to assume that because you're in a Christian home, because you belong to a church, that that's all you need and your heart remains completely unchanged before God. That's the danger. That's why we're going to look at it again next week because there's some more aspects to consider. But today, understand very clearly, there is only one way to stand on judgment day. There is only one way to be sure that when that day crashes down, that you will be safe. Okay, and it goes like this. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I still in him be found... Dressed in His righteousness alone, therefore faultless to stand before the throne. Okay, it's Christ alone. May may that be your hope. Okay, you have nothing to fear if you're in Christ. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you, Lord, for uh, the Book of Romans and just how um, clear-cut it is. Uh, just the way that it doesn't leave us guessing or wondering. Um, But we thank you, Father, that you have painted a very clear picture of what's coming on this world and what's coming to us if we uh, have rejected the Lord Jesus. Uh, So, Father, we pray that each one of us here, that we would uh, go home and think very seriously about this, that we would examine the fruit of our lives and see um, what's going on. Uh, whether we are trusting in Christ or just trusting in ourselves. And Heavenly Father, we pray that the thought that Christ has been, uh, has come and has, has died to pay for all of our sin and has risen again as the King who saves and that His righteous life given to us by faith, we pray, Lord, that that would fill us with so much more joy, uh, that our lives would be driven by that that real desire to want to live for Your glory only and to want to live for eternity, not just here and now. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, reshape our lives so that it is in line with that, because we know the joy of having such a great saviour. We pray it in his name. Amen.